0: I'm Mike Ward and welcome to Conversations in Healthcare, a video series brought to you by DRG, part of Clarivate. In this series, we are speaking to opinion leaders to explore the challenges industry faces when trying to develop uh, treatments to provide uh, the most benefit to patients. It's well established that the cost of development is rising um, and yet the ability to pay for new treatments is more constrained a significant proportion of approved treatments that are shown to be safe and effective actually still fail to fulfil their anticipated potential. The most common reasons for uh, missing these expectations are uh, limited market access, underestimating market needs, and suboptimal product differentiation. While there are externalities which contribute to this that companies have no control over, Thorough planning and disciplined product launch execution can mitigate the risks of uh, commercial underperformance. To discuss these product uh, challenges and and potential solutions, I'm delighted to be joined by uh, my DRG colleague, Alison Neen. Uh, Alison is a Senior Vice President at DRG, uh, Abacus, part of Clarivate, and the not-for-profit center of innovation and regulatory science. She's responsible for uh, global market access and regulatory uh, policy strategies and solutions. So Alison, um, I hope you and those you care about are are, are keeping well and uh, thanks very so much for, um, uh, for joining me.
1: Thank you, Mike, and certainly delighted to be here and everybody keeping well, as I hope our listeners are as well.
0: Great. Thanks very much. Um, So, Alison, uh, as we know, within the life sciences ecosystem, uh, no company, not even the largest multinationals, has all the answers um, when it comes to successfully launching a medicine. So what are the most... uh, common challenges biotech and pharma companies come to you with for, for help
1: yeah absolutely good question mike um really it's a very transient and fast changing landscape out there so most commonly uh, the challenges that our clients have are basically how do how do we know what's happening in the marketplace what do i need to do and most commonly really it's about what is the evidence that I actually need as a as a company to get over the the national reimbursement hurdles? And um, how do you communicate the value uh, of your of your product, whatever it is, or your your innovation? And uh, so, who are the stakeholders involved and the the timelines, etc. So that's where we'll typically look at a a, a product and um, and say what's happening with your evidence. So quite often we'll do like an evidence gap analysis where we'll say, this is what the standard is for your in-focus country that you're focusing on. This is what the requirements are here's where your evidence stack up or perhaps there may be areas that are slightly weaker and we will then advise the client on what they need to do to actually overcome that hurdle. So that would be one of the bits on the the evidence side. And then, of course, I've already alluded to, it's all about how do you communicate once you've got that evidence and what do you do to best capture it? So what we typically do is we will make our Global Access Advisory Team will actually map out all of the timelines and the different stages of what uh, a pro- a product or a client needs to do to actually get into that marketplace, and we typically call that our route map to access.
0: Right. So, so, so looking, you know, more specifically, at, you know, at some of the challenges that you you, you, you just mentioned, uh, in your experience, you know, what are the, the the key questions that companies, uh, you know, need to ask themselves, you know, to to ensure that they're actually gathering that. The right amount of evidence, you know, that either to demonstrate um, that their therapeutic solution uh, will be considered cost-effective, uh, mm-hmm. or for example, inform a go-no-go decision in that clinical development.
1: Yeah, it's very much about understanding the landscape and that market that they're operating within making sure that they're really up to date with the policies and the methodologies of how their product is going to be assessed. So that's all about really understanding how the health technology assessments at country level will operate and what methodologies those regulators are actually using. Because the scope is changing. I'll give you an example of that, Mike, if I may. So with digital therapeutics, for example, if we go to the US market, highly developed, they've got their methodologies and process set out for for looking at these products coming into the marketplace. However, if we move across to Europe, within the EU5, they started to develop the methodologies of how they will assess these products and new innovations coming to market, But they're not all through federal law yet so the challenge for the client is understanding number one what the methodologies are and that they've got the right evidence to support how their their product will be assessed but also really understanding the timing as well of that and that's that's just one one bit on the on the landscape on on the environment side of things If we focus in even further on pharmaceuticals, for example, I mean, uh, sort of in the last two years, there's been a big shift to lots of rare and very specialist diseases coming into the marketplace. Now, quite often that that throws up a challenge because if you're having to get your your evidence together to get your product assessed, you really need to understand what is the established standard of care. So that's really one of the first steps when it comes to one of the rare and specialist diseases, because on that standard of care, that's the basis of how we actually would then go about building the health economic model. So the start of really saying, okay, with the evidence that we've got, how are these patients normally going through the healthcare system at country level? Yeah. and um, what are what are the challenges? Where are the lever points? Because that's how you start to build your evidence and your health economic uh, argument which is really crucial to get into the marketplace so that would be one of the the first areas that we we'll look at and we have a very specialist obviously health economic team that that do that one of the, the other areas is looking at the other measures for example um our clinical outcomes assessment team uh, very often are having to develop uh, patient-related outcome measures as a standard uh, that they can be measured against uh, because that doesn't exist for that product because it is very rare and specialised. And uh, we have a cracking team, as as you probably are aware, that actually specialise in this and uh, really can help com- companies uh, shape where they, they want to be and make sure that their product is actually uh, being seen in the right light and that they're very early on on the product life cycle really early, like phase one, when the clinical trials are still going on, that they're starting to actually collect that right data. So what we'll always advise clients is engage early. So if you're going to use a consultancy start planning really early and even if you're not using a consultancy in-house in the client's own matrix launch team uh, within the the pharma company start as early as you can planning because it can never be too early and keep re-evaluating the market as you go because the landscape and the policy and regulation we've just sort of discussed and, and talked about keeps changing and you need to make sure that you're entering the market at the right time with the right information so that you can get the right assessment out the other end. So
0: I mean you sort of you know highlighted there you know, sort of, uh, you know some of the ways in fact that you can and your team can help. Can you give us some uh, you know specific examples of of, of what you've done and sort of highlighting actually what the outcomes were of, of that assistance?
1: Yeah. Um, so sort of I briefly mentioned uh, the clinical outcome assessment team. We actually did a really piece, a, a interesting piece of work um actually only a couple of months ago, uh, where we actually helped define an outcome measure, a patient-related outcome measure for a blue chip pharma company. Uh, It was a disease area where there hasn't been a lot of work. Um, there, There wasn't really a lot of support for it, and it wasn't really classified as a high unmet need. But for that patient emotionally, because we were looking at sort of alopecia uh, areata, so um, that that really is a big a big issue if you're a patient. So we were able to work in partnership with the pharma client to develop what is now seen as a, an internationally recognised patient related outcome measure. So that's one of the things that that particular team has done and we have many instances of of things um if you look at some more the traditional type things that we do as well where you're looking at uh reimbursement and what will the reimbursement pathway be this was actually quite an interesting one um i got called into the the back end of a meeting as as happens to all of us every now and again and i overheard something and i thought oh ears pricked up and um the company actually uh, had uh, told their their Sort of their all of their stakeholders internally and externally because they were just about to be acquired by a larger pharmaceutical company. So they had communicated that they had an ultra orphan drug coming through, which was going to go through Nice's uh, highly specialized technology route. So really, the communication to the internal and external stakeholders because this was then in the public domain and was fueling the. Um, the shareholder price of of, uh, the company Um, and that was then being seen as a highly innovative product so it's really prime for for investing. Unfortunately for them they had misunderstood that there was a difference between orphan drug status and ultra-orphan And also that the route to reimbursement, which is very um, strict criteria for a highly specialised technology, they didn't actually meet the criteria. So they wouldn't be going down that route (laughs) because it had just recently changed. So again, coming back to really understand the landscape and the market and the timing. So what we were able to do with that was we were able to do um, quite a bit of analysis because obviously we specialize on regulatory and uh, both in the consulting arm of the business that I represent and also the not-for-profit side of the business. We were able to do a bit of analysis and actually say, well, you know, it's actually not going to make a difference on how your product is reimbursed, okay? This has recently changed and, um, so we were able to work out a very robust communication plan for them, and the outcome was that everybody won the drug was reimbursed, they got acquired by the the larger drug company, and nobody lost face, and the share price maintained so that was a win for for all parties and and that's quite often what it's about it's It's all trade offs and and making sure that all stakeholders win because everybody wants the best decision.
0: Yeah. Actually, Alison, could, you've mentioned the Center of Innovation uh, Regulatory uh, Science uh, a couple of times. Could you just sort of you know, explain, because you, you described it, it's as a not-for-profit within, with, within Clarivate. Would you mind just sort of you know, explaining what it, it does and, and how mm-hmm. it kind of gives you that, uh, I guess, that view or that transparency on what sort of the various regulatory stakeholders are thinking.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Happy to do so. Well, as you say, this is our not-for-profit side of, of the organisation. And this is where uh, we'll work. We have grants, for example, coming in from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, etc. And this gives us the opportunity to use our experts. And it is a bespoke group of experts that we have within CIRS that don't work on normal consulting projects and this allows us to work very closely with the global regulators so all of the HTA bodies for example are pretty much represented throughout the the world uh, within the CIRS group and are actually members of that group and what it's really about is um, sort of the academics coming around the table and really looking at have they got the best methodologies? Uh, are the processes as robust as they can be to make sure that each country is being able to help their patients and, and their constituents uh, get the best product at the best time at the, at the right price. So value for every sector of the healthcare system. So. We will work very much hand in hand, but it also gives us the opportunity to work in less established markets as well. So, for example, at the moment, we're doing um, a large piece of work looking at the emerging markets and how we can actually help them uh, through the CIRS group to actually get the methodologies and processes right um, so that they can assess product pharmaceuticals digital solutions etc devices medical devices uh in the marketplace so as they're doing that equitably um, for their their people in that respective country for us it gives us a wonderful insight as well and it keeps us sharp and at the top of our game and we can see and understand what the regulators are thinking before it very much comes into policy. So the other bit of of what's really important with CIRS and what they do is that they're there not only to look at what the methodologies are at this point in time and analyze is it being successful or is this being super duper and the rest need to engage that way but it's also about being able to be ahead of the chase and, and see what's happening in the market and advise strategically so that governments can shape their their health policies uh, to the best effect really.
0: Yeah great so um, earlier on you, you talked about how you sort of you know, at a very, very early stage, you were you know, sort of you know helping helping the business uh, sort of, you know, develop its strategy. I just just wonder sort of you know at what point in an assets development timeline should companies actually start evaluating the sort of you know potential value proposition and and which stakeholders should they actually be engaging with at that point?
1: yeah, well, we'd say as early as possible (laughs) so basically from phase one when you're starting and you've got your clinical data coming through um, that's when we would start engaging at a very early stage on the global value dossiers where we're looking at the clinical evidence so we have a a large team uh, of um scientific medical writers, uh, all who have PhDs, actually. I think we're one of the most robustly qualified uh, medical writing teams, actually, within consultancy. And um, we will look in very fine detail at that evidence as it exists at that point in time and start uh, pulling out what we would call the aspirational value messages for that product or innovation. Uh, Of course, as you get more clinical information becoming available prior to launch, you will have to Uh, tweak it and and modify and then we'll take that early information and then we will test it with key stakeholders and decision makers so we're talking about we'll test with clinicians we'll test with national pairs and local pairs and we may even on occasion test with patient organizations as well uh, to make sure that we're, we're getting what are the the true unmet needs from all of the stakeholders. Mix that will we'll be making the uh, decisions on moving forward. And then, of course, the closer you get to market, you finalise your global value dossier for your affiliates, you, you test again, and uh, quite often we'll run workshops and stuff with the, the internal stakeholders and the affiliates to make sure in case we have to actually uh, tweak the value messages, particularly for a country or affiliate area.
0: So and, I mean, and those messages. I mean, you know. So, what are the best ways for companies to sort of you know, communicate, say, for example, you know, that value to the various stakeholders that you've just identified? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what what what, uh, you know, what tools are are available for people?
1: Yeah, well, we've got a plethora of tools. <laughs> it's like, where do I start and where do I finish? Um, I think the secret always in communication is keep it simple. Yeah. So keep the messages as simple as possible. And also, I mean, we've, we, we've all got the marketing background where we know sort of if it's visual, you'll retain X amount when you see, hear it. It's another, you know, the whole bit. So we've got lots of different methods to use in different areas. So we do um, a lot of uh, iPad uh, models. So we'll actually put health and um, economic Uh, models onto iPads so as we can communicate well this is what the model actually shows and here are the key messages from that and and that's one way to communicate very simply and we can do it not only just with health economic models but sometimes also these tools can be used to communicate value for example in tenders. So, maybe in an area where there's national tenders, like say um, with blood disorders, so big haemophilia contracts that last for two to three years, uh, companies will often need to be able to go through a lot of complex data and cost calculators to be able to show the benefits of the drug from the clinical studies but also the benefits if you use so much of this treatment and so much of that treatment and what will the financial outcome be for the national body making that assessment. Uh, We do all the traditional things as well of course of like flashcards uh, leaf pieces uh, smart decks as well which have become actually in this um, this awful time that we're living in at this point in time as a pandemic we having highly visual Visual and very uh, cr- creatively designed uh, smart decks when you're having to connect over the internet rather than face to face is becoming ever more impar- important. And we've got an absolutely top notch uh, design team in house that are very, very skilled at doing that. In fact, one of our clients. Um, they don't actually allow us to put any any slide decks out for any work that we do for them unless it's actually gone through our design team. So that's how popular they are. They're they're certainly in big demand.
0: <laughs> so, <clears throat> it's, so in the examples that you shared, um, you know, there the clearly is you know, a lot of interaction. Uh, you sort of said, yeah you know, how you've been in meetings. You know, this relationship with sort of, you know, sort of these decks, etc. What what does engagement between your team and and, and clients you know, look like? Uh, and you know, are these all discrete one-off arrangements, or are there off-the-shelf opportunities?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, in the consulting side, we do very much bespoke work for clients, so everything is totally bespoke to that client because each client will have a. You know, a particular need and something that they want particular to their product. So that's very bespoke. But having said that, within the wider DRG Clarivate, we also have an awful lot of product solutions as well, which are off the shelf. So we're, you know, we're quite well renowned for some of these excellent insight reports that that we have, etc. So there's lots of other product as well. But on the consulting side, which which I look after, it is totally bespoke. And what we what we do is we we actually do ensure that we get the best possible people and the best possible solution for that client. We work in a matrix structure, which is very similar to our clients generally, but we have very specialist teams. So we have a a unique and specialist health economic team, a health technology appraisal team, a systematic review team a global access advisory team and a value communication team which will include programmers uh, to help us with platforms etc and doing ipad models etc and also our quite famous uh, design team so we have these specialist teams and which can all input into the particular requirements for a project for a client so what we do is we look initially when uh, the client comes to us whether it be directly because it's repeat business because we do a lot of repeat business or it may be through an rfp for someone that we haven't worked with before and we will allocate for each project a project lead a strategic advisor who's an absolute expert in that, that area that they want to look at, whether it be launch excellence or it may be a, a therapy specialist for a very rare disease that we, we need to uh, put onto it. And each project also has a project manager. Um, and the project manager is quite a key role. So what that does for the client, it means that you've got a core team who uh, are always there as a point of contact. And the project manager is very much like the facilitator to join all of these specialisms together to give the bespoke solution. So they're almost like a conductor of an orchestra and you bring in your violins when you need, which would be maybe your health economist, to do your model. Uh, you will then bring in your global value communication section, when you need to do your GVD, you know, to, to um, assist them communicating the value, etc. and And it goes on like that. And, and that works incredibly well for us because one of the, the key um, comments we've had back from clients is they like the strategic advisors on the project because the strategic advisor will spar with them quite often and say, okay, so you're considering doing this, but really have you have you considered what the outcome may be and should you perhaps look at it from this view or another view Um, and we get really good feedback on that and it means that you're getting as a client a true expert rather than a generalist consultant to give you the solution and that that is important because as we discussed earlier you really need to be at the top of your game because it's a very fast moving landscape uh, and especially on this HEOR side where it's very technical, methodology driven, etc. So you've really got to be up to date.
0: So, I mean, as a final question, um, you know, that I mean, that increased focus on sort of your evidence based uh, you know, value that you know, therapeutic approaches now have to show. Uh, it's it's still a relatively new phenomenon, so you know how sort of, your quickly are these these value assessment you know, strategies evolving.
1: Oh, very quick, very quickly indeed. Um, I mean, I've been in market access for a long time. You can probably tell by the white hair, that, uh, I think for about 32, 34 years now. Um, and market access, I was actually in the first team that was ever conceived in market access in the days of Astra, which then became AstraZeneca, because I came in from the pharmaceutical side into consulting. And my goodness, all I can say is the changes, you know, have just been market access is a relatively, you know, new phenomenon in the last sort of 10, 15 years. But my goodness, have things changed? But having said that, while methodologies and things change, the core bits of market access are still there. They just sometimes reinvent them and call them something different. (laughs) (laughs) so you might get a little bit of change in terminology but the core bit at the heart it's getting value and making sure you know the value of your product meets what the policies are and the methodologies for that company and address what the unmet need is for the patient and what gets us out of bed in the morning Mike what really gets me out of bed in the morning is making that difference and making sure that I can give the best possible solution to the clients so that a patient can get the treatment that they need and and that for me is what it's all about.
0: Sorry. Alison thanks so much for you know taking the time to to, to talk to us today. Um, yeah so the insights that you were sharing there <clears throat> around sort of, you know product launch market assessment etc cetera, um, they're going to resonate with 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 a lot of our listeners so um, you know th- they're going to find that very very valuable. So If after listening to this broadcast, uh, you'd like to listen to future conversations in healthcare, uh, follow our LinkedIn page, because there we will be posing alerts to uh, future episode releases. Uh, So in closing, I'd like to thank Alison again uh, for joining us and and thank all our listeners for for, for tuning in. So until next time, stay safe and healthy. I'm Mike Ward and I'll see you in the next episode.